Well, on Monday, we celebrate our 56th year of our independence. It's our national day. And you know, this year's national day is unlike any other national day we've celebrated in the last 55 years. I, it's amazing. We won't even have a full parade. And, uh, but things are different because of the COVID situation. But you know, our calling has never been different. I believe with all my heart that our Antioch call is secure. And, uh, you know, this nation, Singapore, is a miracle, miracle city. If you think about this 56 years ago, 56, what kind of a, we were just, in, uh, we were just a sleepy uh, fishing village, man. And God has blessed us beyond our wildest imaginations and the wealth and the prosperity. But I believe that the Antioch call is strong in this nation. I believe that Antioch was not just a city that sent out its missionaries, but also its finances, its wealth. It's ideas and it's um, and uh, uh, wisdom and, and culture as well, and I do believe with all my heart that Singapore is going to fulfill her destiny. This this nation was created by God for an end time purpose, Amen. And I also believe with all my heart that we're going to see great moves of the Holy Spirit and people are one day going to come to Singapore not because they want to go to MBS or they want to go to the, the gardens by the bay. They want to come to Singapore because they hear God is moving in the city. Come on, hallelujah. So allow me to just take a few moments to pray. Father, I thank you for this miracle city called Singapore. I thank you that you blessed this nation beyond our wildest imaginations, Lord. You've taken some uh, a third third world nation, Lord, and you've blessed it to become a first world city and to be a leader in many fields, Lord. And we, we know it is the hand of God. We know it's the hand of God. We know you blessed and you prospered this nation, Lord. And I pray, God, that we will fulfill our Antioch call as a, as a city, Lord. More than that, Lord, I pray for revival. Hallelujah. I pray for revival to flow out, Lord, into the nations. And I pray that you will prosper this nation and you will, you will, you will favor us, Lord. And that, Lord, the day is going to come when this COVID thing is going to be broken over this nation. Hallelujah. And we're all going to go back to some kind of normality, Lord. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And we speak that over this nation in Jesus' name, God. Let Singapore be a forerunner, Lord, in this thing in Jesus' name, Lord. And we speak your peace over the city in the name of our Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Well, this weekend, I want to begin on a new series. It's called The Legacy Series. And a legacy is what a man leaves behind for the next generation, what a person leaves behind. And you know, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about in this season in my life, legacy, inheritance, and, uh, and heritage, and I'll probably define these things over the next few weeks, and it's a real fascinating study. But you know, I think that the most important thing for a human being is to know that he has made a difference in the lives of the people who he has come into contact with. And we all want to make a difference in our lives. Amen. And so we're going to do a series, uh, beginning a series this week. And um, this uh, weekend, I want to talk about the biblical basis for enlargement and expansion. And my text is 2 Kings chapter 6 and verses 1 and verses 2. And this is a familiar passage of Scripture. And it says that the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make from there a place that we may dwell. So the prophet said, Go, hallelujah. I want you to hear the divine imperative. Go. Now today we have purchased and taken over four nightclubs and KDV lounges. Uh, three pubs, uh, one massage parlor, and I don't know any church in the world that have done this. Right? This is something that, uh, uh, that we are not gloating over, but I believe it has to do with our calling. It has to do with the grace of God over this congregation. Each time we take over a nightclub, it's a huge win for the kingdom. 
and all that's associated with nightclubs, you know, and KDB lounges, the, the drunkenness, the prostitution, the fights, the immorality, the drug use, all these are the junky traits of a bad family, man. And then to see a place of darkness being transformed into a house of prayer, whoo, that's a huge win for the kingdom. I think heaven rejoices each time this happens, amen. And 31 years of full-time ministry, each time we purchased a property, there's always uh, some form of opposition, usually external. There are t- sometimes there's this internal dis- dissonance. But whenever Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side, you can expect contradictory and weird storms start to appear. And it just comes with the territory, right? Each time we take a step of faith, you have to expect some form of resistance and we cannot allow this to bother us. You, you, you know you're moving in the right direction when the enemy demonstrates an element of opposition and the writer of the Hebrews calls it enduring the contra- contradiction. Come on, I love that. Hallelujah. So over the next three weeks, I will be introducing to the church the concept of legacy. And again, this is something that I really feel it's, it's going to be some of the most important sermons that I preach here in Cornerstone. Now, when justifying the purchase of a new facility or embarking on a building project, there are four scriptural considerations to consider and examine. Number one, it's when you run out of space in your current facilities. That's a logistical problem, and I'll circle back to this in a few moments. Number two, it's when you need to step out in faith because you have a preceding word from God for a coming expansion. Hallelujah. I love that. Number three, it's when God is moved to answer the cry of his leaders or the congregation for enlargement. And again, we're going to go show you from the scripture of, of how this works. And number four, it's when God loves a place because of the sacrifices that were made at the altar and he wants it to redeem. It's, it's just a God thing, right? And there are some places that are really more special to God than others. I give you a case in hand, the Bible College of Wales, right? When we bought that, It was because God specifically said to us, I want this place for myself. Hallelujah. So let's examine the first one. What happens when we run out of space? In the sixth chapter of uh, two kings, the sons of the prophets come to Elisha with a request. They said, see now the place where we dwell is too small. Please let us go to the Jordan. Let us make a place that we may dwell. Now the sons of the prophets is a ministry or the ministry that was headed by Elisha. It was started by Elijah, and by the time Elisha, the prophet, took over, it was a, it was a growing uh, ministry, and they were so blessed that they had outgrown the facility that they were in. And this overcrowding was a direct result of God's favor and blessings. Come on. So they went to the prophet to ask permission to build a larger facility, and the prophet's response, go! Hallelujah. Again, that is a divine imperative. That was the divine mandate. Whenever you find in Scripture that the blessings of God causes discomfort because we outgrow the facility, then you can be sure that God has prepared a place for us where there is spaciousness, come on, and room for growth. And the Lord undertakes this for us because overcrowding is not His good pleasure. Trust me on this. How do I know this? Because heaven is described in the Bible as being extravagantly spacious. Woo! And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we get an understanding of what the will of God is. Now, there are three observations I notice in this 2 Kings 6 passage. And the first is that the God we serve is the God of the more than enough. Come on, my friends. Our God is an over-provider. Each time we find the Lord providing for His people, the provision is always overcompensated by His generosity. 
When Jesus fed the 5,000, how many baskets left over did they have? 12, right? When he fed the 4,000, how many baskets left over did he have? Seven, right? He is extravagant as he is generous, but he is never wasteful. Come on, hallelujah. For 40 years in the wilderness, manna came down from heaven. God fed his people. And was always more than enough to meet the needs of the people. They baked it, fried it, sauteed it, grilled it, broiled it, roasted it, turned it into cakes. But it never ran out. It never ran out. Hallelujah. And in Genesis 26, we find Isaac digging the wells of his father Abraham, that his father Abraham had dug the wells. The first well he, uh, he, uh, he dug was contested by the herdsmen of Gerah, and they quarreled over it. So Isaac called it Isaac, which means quarrel, and he moved away from there, although he had the rights. He had the rights to the, to the well, but he, def, he def, didn't want to quarrel over it, and he understood something of the principle of God, and so he, he eventually uh, left the place. I tell you this, my friends, what you quarrel over, you will eventually lose. And he dug another well, and again, the Philistines quarreled with him, and he called it Sidna, which means enmity. And the third well he dug, they didn't quarrel over this well. He called it Rehoboth, and Rehoboth means spaciousness. Come on. I tell you, Isaac was well compensated for his willingness to walk away from what was his right. But that was not all. In the next verse, it says, God gave him another well. Come on, this is Bathsheba, and this is the over-the-top provision. Come on, hallelujah. God always gives us more than we need, especially when our ways please Him. Amen? The second uh, observation is that God is more than able. Right? Not only is He liberal in His provision, He is able. Paul tells us that God, our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all Four adjectives to drive home the point that God is able. Come on, hallelujah. You know, in the wilderness, uh, the Lord provided for over 3 million people over 40 years. They never knew a day of lack. I mean, not a single day, man. They had no outside help, no aid agencies, no country to go back to, nothing. All they had was a howling wilderness in front of them and a promise from God that He would take care of them. Wow. You think about it. The U.S. Quartermaster General estimated it would take 1,500 tons of food, 1 million gallons of water, 4,000 tons of firewood just to sustain them for one day. And they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And their garments never wore off and neither did their shoes wear out. Please don't tell me that God is not able to take care of you. Never doubt that he is more than able. Hallelujah. You know, the campsite alone was the size of Rhode Island in the United States just to accommodate the campsite. They were the single most undeveloped mass of people that ever existed on the face of the earth. And it was to these people that God said, you who are not a people, I will make a people in a great nation. And God took care of them. Hallelujah. Shandaraba. Come on, my friends. God is more than able. Amen. The third observation I noticed from the scripture is that overcrowding is never the will of God. Overcrowding has within itself serious repercussions. We have over the past few years in uh, our Katong campus experienced a chronic shortage of space, man. I tell you, our leaders are always clamoring for more space. This is the number one problem we have here in Cornerstone today. It's a chronic lack of space. Pre-COVID, it takes 10 to 15 minutes just to get out of the car park. And then you got some joker doesn't have money in his cash card. Wow, then you got to queue up to get into the toilets. Then on weekends, it's so overcrowded that sometimes we are in danger of bringing the fire code. And then we, when we have special events, it can snake over 100 meters long, people queuing up to get in. 
what is our short-term remedy? We rent. And I'll tell you this, our rental is ridiculously high. We're always at the mercy of some unscrupulous landlord. All the time. Dr. John Calhoun was the research psychologist at the National Institute of Mental Health. And he had this theory that overcrowding took a terrible toll on people. So he did a test on mice. He built a nine by nine foot uh, square cage and he started with eight mice and the cage was designed to comfortably contain 160. That was the optimal number. He allowed the mice to mate and it grew to a maximum population of 2,200 mice and then it stopped growing, right? The mice were not deprived at any time of life's necessities. There was food, water, other resources that were all available. A pleasant temperature was maintained. No disease was present. The cage was ideal for the mice except for its overcrowding conditions. The population peaked at 2002 after two and a half years and as overcrowding started setting in, the colony of mice began to disintegrate and strange things started happening. Dr. Calhoun made these observations. Now watch this. Number one, he said uh, the adults started forming cliques of about a dozen mice. I tell you this, I've been a pastor for 31 years. Anytime you find cliques forming in the church, it's not a good sign. It's like a church within the church, like we are the special one. Listen, God loves all His children. There are no special children in Cornerstone, amen? And there are no grandchildren. God only has children. Hallelujah. I don't like this thing about cliques. You know, this is my, my people, my people. They're not your people. They're God's people. And then the second thing that he observed was these young, healthy mice were left out. I tell you this, anytime young, the young in the congregation are neglected, it's not good for the community. It will disrupt the whole colony. And then the third thing is that the male started withdrawing from leadership. And what happens? The female starts to become very aggressive. <laughs> I'm not talking about any wives here. And then the fourth one is the young becomes very indulgent. They ate, drank, slept, groomed themselves, but they failed to reproduce. And after five years, every single mouse was dead. And this occurred despite the fact that right up till the end, there was plenty of food, water, and an absence of disease. So Dr. Calhoun asked the question, what effects would overcrowding have on human beings? Right? Now, I know we're not mice, we're not caged, but this experiment uh, conveys, I think, a few observations that are really worth thinking over. Number one, whenever there's overcrowding, we would cease to reproduce ideas. And along with ideas, our goals and ideals, in other words, our values would be lost. Our values would be lost. Number two, there'll be a failure to reproduce. The moment a church is uh, overcrowded, a facility is overcrowded, I tell you this, I've seen this before, over and over again, the church stops growing. And number three, with the loss of values, the social order of the colony starts disintegrating. Whenever there's overcrowding, there's negative effects on the community. People start quarreling, complaining, arguing. The church starts going downhill. And we can never allow this to happen in Coniston. Never allow this to happen. The ministry of the church can never be compromised because of inadequate space. And without any fear of exaggeration. I, would, I, would, I think we probably have one of the most utilized church auditoriums pre-COVID, man. Our facility was utilized nearly every day of the week. When we purchased this, we didn't want a white elephant. But when the ministry groups are unable to book rooms, when there's always a rush to fight for spaces, when congregations are fighting for uh, open slots, it's not a good sign. I'm telling you this, it's happening right now. And it's not a good sign. We're way past overcrowding. And as a rule of thumb, when the hall is 80% full, it is considered full. And this is what they teach in Church Grove Seminary. Uh, seminars, visitors see 80% as full. And they don't want to come because they're too, they're too crowded. 
So we're way past overcrowding, my friends. And we need to think and deal with the situation. The second scriptural justification for uh, physical expansion is when you have to step out in faith because you have a preceding word from God of a coming expansion. Come on, has not God spoken to us about re coming revival? Come on. Has God, have we not received many promises from God that He's going to enlarge us, He's going to increase us? Has not God given us again and again, Isaiah 54 and verses 2 and 3, on so many occasions, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your habitation. Why? Because increase is coming, expansion is coming. Now when God says enlarge the place of your tent, He places that responsibility on us to prepare. Come on. We must make space for anticipation. In anticipation, we, if we do nothing about it, then we only have ourselves to be blamed. Amen? We cannot just be hearers of the Word. We must be doers of the Word as well. I believe revival is coming. No doubts about that. When it is coming, it's, that's not my problem. My problem is to pray until it comes. Hallelujah. When Jesus told His disciples to tarry in Jerusalem, He didn't tell them how long they should pray. How many days? I don't know. Weeks? Months? He didn't say. All He said was wait. Hallelujah. So we're not to take vacations during that period. We're not supposed to go on business trips. We're not supposed to visit with families or go shopping or hang out. There are times for us to do these things, but now is not the time. There will be times when God says, now I want the whole church together for a whole week to pray, hallelujah. And there are times when the church must get serious. 500 people saw Jesus in His resurrected form. Only 120 people were in that upper room when the Holy Spirit came. And 380 people didn't think it was, it was, it was important enough for them to tarry. And they missed out on the greatest event in the history of mankind. After the crucifixion. We must learn not to be moved by what we see or by what we feel, but, but, but by what we believe. Amen. My job is to not to worry when, but to watch and pray and believe God. Keep persistently asking for revival. Amen. You know, there are things I've been asking God for a long time. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's going to be answered. I know it's going to be answered. It's a question of when. Do I get discouraged here? Yeah, there are times where I wonder if the prayer is going to get answered. But I tell you, I've learned, I'm learning to be stronger. Jesus told us to pray constantly and not lose heart. Hallelujah. Amen. Keep persistently praying. Revival is coming, period. But more than that, I believe God has chosen this congregation to be in the forefront and to be as, uh, the tip of the spear. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be wasting your time right now. Come on, I tell you this, man. I wouldn't be wasting your time. If Cornerstone is not called for revival, and, uh, then what am I doing here? I tell you, we have the DNA for revival. Amen. And we have many wonderful programs that are going on in the church and all are good, all are necessary. But revival has to be our number one agenda. It has to saturate. The spirit of revival has to saturate us. We cannot substitute uh, programs for the pursuit of revival. Amen. Programs can grow a church, but I promise you this, they cannot sustain a church. All our new wineskins would be useless. We have all these wonderful programs. All these will be useless if we don't have the new wine. Come on. But it's coming. Hallelujah. And we cannot be apathetic about this. We must be convinced that revival is the will of God for us. We cannot falter between two opinions any longer. Neither can we be double-minded. Do we want revival? Yes or no? Cornerstone, yes or no? Do we want a host's presence? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then we have to stop vacillating between two opinions. We must give ourselves to prayer. And if God says revival is coming and then we don't do anything to prepare for it, my goodness, man, we're just hearers of the word, man. We're not serious about the things of God. If we hear from God and then we don't prepare ourselves. And I believe with all my heart, revival is coming. And we got to prepare. 
The church was 120 on the day of Pentecost. The next day, they were 3,120. Wait for, find room for the people, man. If revival is coming, then what is going to happen? Where are the people going to sit? Where are they going to be nurtured? Who's going to help them? Who's going to disciple them? Who's going to prepare the necessary materials? Hey, come on, my friends. I tell you this, we got to prepare now, hallelujah. Now is the time for preparation. The third scriptural basis for expansion is when God is moved to answer the cry of the leaders and the congregation for enlargement. You know, one of the great prayers in, uh, in the Bible was prayed by a very obscure individual. His name was uh, Jabez. He was only mentioned once in the Bible. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10, Jabez cried out to the Lord. It's a five-point prayer. Watch this. He said that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand will be with me, and that you'll keep me from evil, and that I may not cause pain. I think this is a good prayer to pray on a constant basis. So God granted him what he requested. Now watch this. I want to focus on the first two points of prayer. He said that you would bless me and that you would enlarge my territory. The, the wonderful thing about this prayer is we're told that God granted him what he requested. <laughs> Expansion and enlargement are the things we must ask God for. I mean, God's showing us in the scripture very clearly what he is pleased to answer. And when Jabez said, enlarge me, Lord, the Bible says God granted him what he requested. You know, many people I know are just contented with what they have. Now, I'm not talking about wealth and prosperity because those things, everybody want more, all right? <laughs> I'm talking about the things of the Spirit. I'm talking about kingdom expansion, kingdom enlargement. I'm talking about inheritance. When it comes to enlarging, uh, enlarging a kingdom borders, this is something we must ask for and contend for and request and say, God, we want to see our borders enlarged. Man, don't ever sell yourself short. Too many people are very restricted in their lives and, 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 and they, they never think big, they never think large or as large. And as long as I'm the pastor, trust me, I will not allow a situation of overcrowding to continue in this place. Now, we've been praying for blessings. We've been praying for increase. We've been praying for enlargement. And I'll tell you this, I know God has answered our prayers. Now, you can continue to live in your tiny, shrunken, small parcel of purpose you call life, or you can lift up your eyes and look to the north and look to the south and the east and the west. And like Abraham said, God, enlarge my territory. Enlarge my territory. And it's not just a corporate church thing, a ecclesia thing. It's also an individual thing. Ask God to enlarge your territory. For goodness sake, stop living life thinking small, man. You know, aeroplanes are permitted to fly at a certain altitude. To get to the next level of uh, height or altitude, they have to receive permission from ground control, from the control tower. Now, if you feel that you reach a spiritual ceiling in your life, then come on, my friends, ask God to give you more airspace. Hallelujah. More territory. Enlarge my borders, Lord. Enlarge my borders. Amen. It's an interesting scripture in Joshua chapter 17 and verse 14. It says that the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you only given us one lot and one share in, to inherit since we are a great people in as much as the Lord has blessed us until now? This is the division of the land of Canaan after the wars were over. The tribe of Joseph was given an inheritance, but they outgrew the land that was allotted to them because God had blessed them, right? So they came to Joshua and asked for an extra lot or a double portion. And Joshua said, you are indeed a great people and you have great power. But you, and you shall not have one lot. In other words, he said, go and take the mountain. It's yours. You have the rights to it. I'm giving it to you. But you have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. Hear what the Lord is saying. 
I want you to ask me for more because I want to give you more. I want to enlarge you. I want to expand you. Don't limit me. Possess all the land. But you've got to fight for it. Come on, I tell you this. God has never made it easy for Cornerstone. When we bought this place, it took us 18 months before we signed the contract. And we had so much warfare in this place. So much warfare. Firstly, we had to get rid of the tenant. I mean, the, the, lad, the, the tenant was a big nightclub called Music World. And I remember the first time going to the owner and says, sir, sir, we want to buy you out of your lease. He said, you buy me out? No, I'll buy you out. Wow. He said, I want $5 million. You know the story. Many of you, I've told the story before. If you want to compensate me, I'm on $5 million or else no deal. You know, we prayed like crazy and finally settled at $180,000. And we, 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 we took over this place with the latest sound system and the, uh, with everything in this place, including the, 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 the disco ball, that one I gave to Pastor Lib. Hallelujah. Shandaram. But you know, this was an amazing place. And we, we, we fought tooth and nail for this place. We overcame what was almost insurmountable obstacles and God prospered us and God blessed us. Hallelujah. And every time in the Bible College of Wales, we had to fight for it, man. We had to fight. And up to today, I'm still fighting for the legitimacy of being in Wales. And there are still people who are saying, you know, you're not very welcome here. And I got to believe that God planted me there and I have an inheritance in that. We have an inheritance in that nation. Come on. There's always a battle. And we're not going to shrug or back off because God is giving us an inheritance and not just an inheritance. He's enlarging our share. Hallelujah. Shanda Rabba. Each time, God's, uh, each time the people of God are constrained by space, that's a direct result of God's blessing and they approach God about it. God Himself would undertake for them. Come on, my friends, check your borders, defend your borders, but don't stop there. Ask God to enlarge your borders. Amen. I'll come to the last point and I'll land the plane here. It's when God loves a place because of the sacrifices made upon its altar and He wants it to be redeemed. It's just a God thing, right? There's some places that God just loves more than others. There's some places that are special to Him. I'll give you an example in the Bible. Genesis 22, the Lord commanded Abraham to bring his son Isaac to sacrifice to a place that God said, I will show you. Three-day journey brought him to the foot of Mount Moriah. God says, this is the place. Abraham brings his son up to the top of the mountain to be sacrificed. Isaac is an observant boy. He's a young man at this stage. He's not a kid. He says, Father, I see the wood. I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. Can you imagine the pain that he was going through? Both Abraham and Isaac were carrying burdens. Isaac was carrying the fire and the wood. Abraham was carrying the vision. Please tell me which is Savior. Jesus carried the cross and he was going to die the most gruesome death. But I tell you, the father watched the whole thing and he was carrying the burden for the salvation of the world in his heart. The Godhead suffered when Jesus died on the cross. They get to the top of the mountain. Abraham binds his son, raises the knife. Angel of the Lord stops him, sees a ram caught in the, with his horns on the ticket. Abraham then called the place. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And God revealed his name to Abraham, Jehovah, Jireh. God will provide. All, I'll tell you this, all we need to ensure is to keep our attention and our focus on him. And God will provide. You know, this Mount Moriah was important because 1,700 years later, on the very same spot, the Son of God would give his life to be the Lamb to be sacrificed for all uh, mankind. And Abraham, I, I think that when Abraham was going to raise his knife and kill his son, 
In that moment, he saw into the, into the future and he saw that he was just mirroring something that God himself would do when he offered his own son to be sacrificed. What a special place. And you know, it was, it was David. The Lord said to David to buy that, that spot. Mount Moriah, it was the threshing floor of Onan, if you remember, in, in 2 Samuel. And the Lord says to David, buy this place. This is, this is the place that I want for myself. Hallelujah. So there's some places that are just special with God. In 2011, when we first walked into the compound of the Bible College of Wales, I immediately knew, man, this is the place that God has for us. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. He says, I want this place for myself. I want you to redeem it for me. This was his field of lentils. This was um, where a praying company of people overcame his enemy and won World War II on their knees. Hallelujah. He loves the Bible College of Wales, what it represents. And he spoke to us so clearly. He says, this is the place I want for myself. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll close with Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 20. In the second, first part of the verse, it says, When the Lord enlarges your borders as He has promised. You know, this enlargement goes way beyond what God had promised to them. God had promised the, the land of Canaan to them. But he said, if you will ask me, I will enlarge your borders even more. David comes to the throne and he enlarges the borders of Israel by something like 400%. All the way from the Euro river Euphrates in the north, all the way down to this Egypt. Man, it was a huge territory because David understood a principle that enlargement and expansion was the will of God. Come on, hallelujah. Well, you, I don't know where you are today in your rooms. Or some of you, uh, you know, uh, 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 in your, in your uh, homes and maybe driving the car, whatever you are. If you can, just take a few moments. I want to pray. If you're at home, just stand up with me. If you're driving your car, stay, keep your eyes on, on the road. Hallelujah. Come on, my friends. Hallelujah. Enlargement and expansion is the will of God. It's the will of God. It's the will. Every time you see a church expanding, enlarging because of the blessings of God, because of overcrowding, you know the will of God is the, the, the spiritual imperative is go, hallelujah, enlarge. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, So Lord, I pray again for this congregation and the favor of the Lord will be upon them. Hallelujah. Thank you for this great vision. Thank you for legacy. Thank you for heritage, Lord, and for enlarging our inheritance. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.